Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Martin. Radio, thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Um, not a great Sunday to talk about. Another loss, another embarrassing loss. This time, the Jacksonville Jaguars have the honor of uh, of welcoming the Jets and pummeling them. 31-12 is your final score, as you all know by now. The bad far, far, far outweighed the good in a game that saw saw the offensive line play about as well. They, uh, they gave Sam Donald some time here and there. I... Uh, Looked at the numbers earlier, and uh, let's say about – say Donald was pressured, significantly pressured, 30 35% of the time, which is too high of a number. But whether he was pressured or not, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, um, the, the numbers, the results weren't, weren't all that good, whether there was pressure in Donald's face or whether he didn't throw. Um, in, in both scenarios, he didn't play well. So the offensive line could have been better, but a unit that, as I've said, is a you know middle of the pack type unit. You're going to have these types of games against the, you know when you're playing a Super Bowl caliber front seven, which is what Jacksonville is. And as much as I've defended this offensive line, I did say going into the game this would be an ugly one. Um, this coming Sunday will be another ugly one with Denver, and the Bears in a few weeks. That'll be pretty. Uh, That'll be a bad one as well. So, yeah, this offensive line needs needs to improve against you know against a lot of teams. They'll they'll hand in a decent effort, better than better than Jets Twitter says, better than uh, a lot of their their critics say. But yeah, when they, when they play this type of defense, this is going to be the, the the outcome. And it you know you're not helping yourself when you're not getting the running game going when you're constantly. When the quarterback is off target, even when the blocking is there, just too much, too much going wrong on the offensive side of the ball, and that's that's how you end up scoring 12 points. Um, the, the opportunity for for more points was there. If you watched the game, you saw that. But the, the story, the story in this game, well, early on anyway, was the Jets. And their inability, not only not only to get off the field, their inability to to get the immortal, the uh, the the first ballot Hall of Famer, Blake Bortles, to throw an incomplete pass. It was absolutely disastrous. It has a lot of people bringing up Todd Bowles' name again as a a guy who should be on the hot seat, a guy who should be fired. I mean, this for me personally, this is the foundation I've seen of Todd Bowles from not 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 even so much the fans, but the media. A lot of a lot of beat guys, a lot of national folks, former players, um, you know, guys like Damian Woody, um, Brian Baldinger, national guy, and a lot of the local beat guys, highly highly critical of Todd Bowles after this game. And rightfully so. If you want Todd Bowles out of here, man, this last three weeks, you'd probably say the only the silver lining is that Todd Bowles is is coaching himself out of a job. 
because he just his team hasn't been getting it done. It's something different every week, whether it's blowing a lead, whether it's having your defense completely no show. Like, I mean, Blake Bortles, guys. Blake, you know, Blake Bortles, he has some good days, but he's never had a day like this. 88 yards passing. couple touchdowns, uh, beat the Jets with his legs once or twice, had a big run at one point, and just an ugly, ugly overall effort. We'll go over that, talk about Darnold, talk about the uh, defensive struggles, the offensive struggles, and some of the standouts. You know, there were some, uh, there were some good takeaways from the game as well. It wasn't all negative. It just feels like it. You're one and three. I mean, this team is, is – you're legitimately one, maybe two weeks away from from thinking nothing but draft. Is that what people wanted? Looking at the draft at, uh, you know, before the halfway point in the season? Because you fought a one and four, one and five. That's what you're looking at. And it's – uh it's gotten ugly, folks. It's gotten ugly in a hurry. So let's talk. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about how the Jacksonville Jaguars came out against the Jets on offense and just completely obliterated this team. Completely obliterated Todd Bowles' defense. You know, after the Jets come out, they get the ball first, and then in typical fashion, the Jets start the game with a penalty. It's a a holding call. No, I no, I take that back. I thought it was going to be a hold, and they ended up calling Spencer Long for an ineligible downfield. So it looked like a you know, I mean, it wasn't a big play anyway. Darnold to Bilal Powell looked like he 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 was going to lose some yards on that play, um, but then they end up throwing the flag. Then you have first and fifteen. The Jets run it, pick up nine, and then Darnold throws an incomplete pass. And then Darnold throws to throws to Powell again, gets eight yards. They needed ten. And then here come the Jaguars. Leonard Fournette was questionable coming into this game. He played for a little while, and then he uh, whether it was the the hamstring tightening up or Doug Marone realizing he wasn't going to need him, Fournette ends up playing less less than half the game. I believe I don't think we saw him in the second half. But it was Blake Bortles' first first to Dante Moncrief, short pass over the middle. And boy, was there plenty of that to come. Blake Bortles' first completion is a Dante Moncrief, a 10-yard pickup. And then he would start, he would go, he would go on to complete, I believe it was the next four. I think he started 15 for 15. I think, I think the 15 for 16 also, I think the only incomplete pass he threw was a ball he threw away. Lincoln's had him under pressure and was about to get a sack. So it wasn't even it wasn't even a pass attempt he was trying to complete on his first 16 balls. 15 completed, one throw away. I mean, that's just... And, and it just... We saw it time and again. Short middle, short middle, short middle, short middle. All night long. And it was there. It was there in the first quarter, second quarter third quarter, the fourth quarter. 
Anytime Jacksonville needed a play, they dumped it off over the middle. And the linebackers were out of position. We saw multiple plays where the linebackers, both guys are covering one player. After a couple field goals, again, Jacksonville just drives down the field. Jets, early on, you thought, okay, maybe a little bend, but don't break. Jacksonville drives down the field. Jets hold, get a field goal. Then get the ball back. They go three and out. And then Jacksonville just marches down the field again for another field goal. Jets get the ball back. Nothing. They end up having to punt. Sam Donald gets sacked by Malik Jackson to end that to end that possession or to end that series. Lachlan Edwards punts it away. Jaguars get the ball again. March down the field. And this time, instead of settling for a field goal, TJ Yeldon leaks out of the backfield. Bortles dumps it off to him short over the middle. And he just he just jogs 31 yards untouched, unchallenged. Just like that. He's in the end zone. And you start to get the feeling that this one is uh, your late second quarter. You already feel like the Jets aren't going to be able to do enough on offense on the day to win that game. You feel like it might be over before the half. Jets come out again. Don't get any points. They go for it on fourth down. And this, this, this series right here, again, this is late second quarter. Jets offense isn't getting much done. Figure that they need a big play. They got to, you know, something's got to happen here. And then with a minute 12, on third down and one, the Jets, I believe, went empty backfield, had Blah Powell split out wide, and Blah Powell gets behind the defense for what looks, what appears to be a, a damn good shot at six points. He's wide open down the field, and, and my apologies, the, uh, com has uploaded their all 22. It was, uh, I wasn't able to access it earlier. So I couldn't get the all 22 view of this, but it certainly looked like Blah Powell had plenty of real estate in front of him on a play where he could easily score. And Donald is off the mark and Mrs. Powell goes off his fingertips. So then the Jets say, okay, let's, let's get aggressive here. We know we need some points. Minute seven left. In the half, fourth down and one, and they go for it again. And this time, Quincy Inunua, down the right side, gets past Jalen Ramsey. He's behind the Jags defense. He's open for a touchdown if Donald can hit him in stride. Instead, and I should say, open for a potential touchdown. But even still, he's behind the defense. If Donald hits him in stride, it's a huge play. Donald throws a ball that you could argue catchable. It's a little bit underthrown, a little bit behind him. Inunua does sort of a leaping, spinning, trying to pluck the ball out of the air, attempt at a catch, and it bounces off his hands, and it's an incomplete pass. 
So we see consecutive passes in a big spot from Sam. And folks, I tweeted this earlier. I said it a few minutes ago. These were two plays, and there's another one we'll talk about later, where Sam Darnold had more than enough time, more than enough time to make this throw and didn't get it done. Feet were set, pocket was clean, play was there, overthrew it. And we're going we're gonna to go to the phones right now, as a matter of fact. Got a caller. We don't want to keep him waiting any longer. And we'll get back to this in just a minute. So let's go to the phone. Code. You're on the air. Who are we talking to? What's going on, Glenn? It's CJ D. Simone from the Jets Factor. CJ, how you doing? I, I saw the area code there, and I thought, who's calling from Brevard? What's up, man? <laughs> how you doing, brother? Oh, man, I've been better, but I'm sure we both have, right? Yeah, it's it, it's it's sad, and, and you know what? I mean, this, this Jacksonville game just basically is an indictment of how pretty much everything is going for this team. You know, we had a, a little bit of a push in the fourth quarter, but what I didn't understand was why did we have to wait till the second half of the game in order to make a push? I would have liked to see this deep, this uh, this offense get aggressive. I would have liked to see the defense get a little bit more aggressive. And the, the problem was was that we saw it again for the third straight game. Defense spending 60 to 70% of the, uh, of the time on the field. And especially when it's 90-plus degrees outside, one of the things that you want to limit, you want to limit defensive reps out there. And, you know, I mean, look, the – the offense overall, I mean, we knew Sam was going to struggle. You know, because it's a rookie, I can I can understand it. And you know what? By no means am I calling Sam a bust. But I really think that uh, Jeremy Bates and Todd Bowles really have to stop neutering Sam Darnold. Let the kid fling it. I mean, he's got an arm. We saw you. You just mentioned it a couple of seconds ago. Yeah, Quincy Inunua, which he just barely overthrew. Okay, Robbie Anderson, he just barely overthrew. All right, Bilal Powell, getting behind the defense, just barely overthrew. You know, it's like Sam's timing is a little bit off because he's worried about whether or not he's going to have enough time and he's trying to get that ball in the air. Why? Because the majority of the game, he's running for his life. So, I mean, what, what say you on that? Well, I think, you know, I, I did say at the top this was a uh... – this was a game where Donald did face a lot of pressure. I expected that. Honestly, um, and I left the, uh, I broke down some of the numbers earlier, and uh, I, I did the same thing I did last week. I, I timed a lot of his throws from snap to throw. And in, in all honesty, in the first half, he, he had between, say, two and a half, three seconds on the vast majority of his throws in the first half. And by NFL standards, you know, like I've had this discussion with people over the last couple of weeks. They seem surprised by it. Watch a game. See how count, – count, count to three every time the ball is snapped and see how often the ball isn't out in under three seconds. Three seconds is, is enough to, to make some plays, especially when it, it's three seconds where, you can, where you're set and you're not scrambling, you're not running. Now, later in the game, there was a lot more pressure on Sam Darnold because – Jacksonville had a big lead. Jets went with a lot of empty backfields. The the defense was able to pin their ears back and get after him. Early on, I think he had the time. I don't think, you know, people – he, 
he's, he's gotten chased a little bit this year, but he, he's not taking a beating back there. He's been sacked eight or nine times in four games. That's not a huge deal. He, you know, we're not constantly wondering, is he going to get up because he just got blasted for the eighth time this game. Like, he's not getting beat up. He's having to move. He's having to work. And I talked about that last week. I actually don't mind that because this year for him, it's supposed to be, a, a, supposed to be about learning and developing. So I like the fact that look how much good did it do Mark Sanchez his rookie year when he had the best line in the NFL and he had five, six seconds to throw every time he dropped back. He never had to work for it. Now, Donald's having to work right, for it. Right, that's true. The, the, the throws have to be better. The protection's got to be better. But when it's there, you know, that, that's, he's got to make, make a play. And, but I do agree, yeah. you know, again, staying with, with the tone, that, with, with the, the idea that this year is about developing him, there's no point in playing him and then having him receiver screen on third and seven for a two-yard gain. You know, let, right. like you said, let him throw. That, that was the only knock I had at, uh, on Darnold coming out of training camp, and it wasn't just me, um, you know, for the time that I was there, I think I saw probably 11 or 12 practices, was the deep ball. It was, and I, I, I reported it on several different days. And several people reported it. Um, you know, and there were days where he would, you know, uh, in te- during the team period, he'd go, you know, one for seven or two for eight on the deep balls. And you thought, all right, young kid, new receivers, they got to have time to build chemistry. That'll happen during the season, but if that's not going to happen if you're having him, if he's only airing it out two or three times a game. Um, they they got to let him throw it. They got to let him, you know, push the ball downfield a little bit because, again, it, we can talk about how bad the O line is, but if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, the, an opposing head coach, and you turn on the film and go, "Hey, look, even when this guy has it has a man open downfield, he can't hit him," then there's no reason to respect it. You can keep bringing extra defenders. Now, connect on a couple of those, and you're going to have to say, look, we may have to back off a little bit because this guy's going to beat you deep when you give him the chance. And until he does that a couple right. of times, there's, there's no need for teams to back off. Sam Darnold, when he has three seconds, four seconds to set his feet and throw, he's got to hit his target. You can't go 0 for 3 on the deep ball. you got to hit one of them. Even one will get somebody's attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because – if he starts hitting on a couple of those deep balls, watch. You're going to start seeing, you know, the, the shallow to intermediate routes start to open up because now they have to respect the arm. And the problem is, is that, you know, Bates and Bolts have a tendency so far, what I'm seeing these first four games, they're being incredibly conservative with them, and they can't. You know, I mean, all, all this talk about, oh, well, we're throwing everything in the playbook at them. Okay, well, let's see it. Because so far, the only thing I've seen is a couple shots down the field and everything else is a, bu- a bubble screen. Isaiah Corwell, who, like, every time he, he, he takes a handoff, he, like, trips two yards behind the line of scrimmage. So that goes for two yards in a cloud of dust. And it's like Bilal Powell has clearly established himself as number one running back. And why he's not getting more carries is just is, is mind-boggling. That's the story I'm, of Bilal Powell's career. You know, and I don't understand why Bates has weapons at his disposal. I'm sick and tired of hearing that Donald doesn't have weapons because you know what? That is the biggest, the biggest, laziest an, uh, analysis that can be put out there. Donald has plenty of weapons around him. Bates as an offensive coordinator and Todd Bowles as a head coach does not know how to use them. I'll tell you what, I, the number of times I've said that, and I still say it because I still see it. And I, I, th- th- here's the thing, CJ. People get so caught up in the moment 
I mean, everything is so, so magnified a million times under a magnifying glass that when Robbie Anderson got Robbie Anderson has more 40 yard touchdown receptions than any receiver in the NFL. Well, at least as of week 41 yarder that gave him more than any receiver in the NFL dating back to last year. He has two fumbles and all I'm hearing is he, he's not legit. He was a fluke. We have no playmakers. Get rid of this guy. And I'm like, what are you right. talking about? Like guys have bad days. If you look hard enough, You'll find a couple of days where Jerry Rice wasn't Jerry Rice. You'll find a couple of days where Emmett Smith wasn't Emmett Smith. Like guys have, you don't cut players who have a bad day. Anderson, if you paid attention to this guy his rookie year, he would have had another six, seven touchdowns as a rookie if if Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't so bad that season. And then last yep, year, the only right. he, the only reason he doesn't get a thousand yards last year is because Josh McCown gets hurt. So now three games into the season, he has two fumbles, and, and now he sucks, and they don't have any weapons. Jermaine Curse, Jermaine Curse is the invisible man in this offense. Yeah, he missed game one. He was limited in game two. But of the two and a half games he's played, what's he got? Nine targets? When the offense is sputtering like this and you have a receiver like that, he should be seeing seven, eight targets a game. I love Quincy yeah, exactly. Newman. You can't keep throwing Quincy Newman with 35% of your passes. Teams are going to start jumping right, those Right, because routes. then he's going to end up being double-covered. Yeah, the interceptions are going to They're going to, going to catch on to it sooner or later. <laughs> and Chris Herndon, we saw that grab by Chris Herndon that was waved off. Get him involved. But that's the other thing. This guy made catch after catch after catch after catch in training camp. He drops one ball in a game. And I people tweeting me, Donald can't trust him anymore. One drop? Like, the guy, the guy has six weeks of acrobatic catches. And then he has one drop, and you're going to tell me Sam Donald's not going to throw him the ball again this year? I mean, come on, people. Yeah, like, he, he, made, he, he, he made a couple of acrobatic catches in that Jacksonville game, and I was like, you know what? He, he probably heard the criticism for the, for, you know, for the, for, for the Miami game, not, re, not really paying attention to, to where he was being on the one-yard line. And then, you know, in, in Cleveland, he had a couple of bad drops. No, he probably paid attention to that and like, you know what? I need to, I, I need to get on the ball. And he made some ridiculous catches in that Jacks in, in the Jacksonville game. And it was unfortunate that that circus catch that he made ended up being negated by a penalty because, man, that was top ten, top ten sports center highlight reel right there. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a guy like that out there. You got Quincy Inunua on one side, Robbie Anderson on the other. Stop telling me Robbie Anderson's not a weapon because he has some fumbles. But he was thinking that. You get her and then involved. You start throwing curse to football a little bit. This team, any, you said it. I've said it a million times. This offseason. If you're saying this team has no weapons, you're an idiot or you're just being lazy. You're looking at the statistical rankings and you're and you're looking at a. You're probably looking at an ESPN power ranking and using that to determine whether or not this team has weapons. This team absolutely. Has, Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Curse did not forget how to play football. They're just not being utilized the way they were last year. Quincy Inunua, right. We've seen how fantastic he is. You know, Terrell Pryor. Not a great player, but as a fourth or fifth option, you could do a hell of a lot worse than a guy who had 800 yards two years ago. You know, he was dinged up this week, so he only saw a couple of reps. But over the first three weeks of the season, the guy, you know, it's only a small sample size, but he was on pace for 800 yards, and he had 800 yards two years ago. That's your, your third, fourth, fifth option is a guy who's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, runs a sub-4", 440, and is on pace for 800 yards, and you're going to tell me, then people keep telling me, we have to get Sam some targets. What are you talking about? 
talking about? How 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 is yeah, the fact it's... that Jermaine Curse and Robbie Anderson are off to a slow start, so all of a sudden these guys don't know how to play football anymore, and now we only have one wide receiver? Everybody falls in love with the box score. They one or two mistakes wipe wipes out a guy's entire history because he had a couple fumbles or a drop. People need to get a grip. Okay, the pass blocking right. has been better than many people anticipated. I mean, even even after this disaster, I looked at their pass block grade. I think they're right now they're like 17th by PFF. I looked at them last last week. I had Sam Darnold with 20 dropbacks where he had two and a half seconds or more to throw the ball. That's plenty. That's plenty of time in the NFL. This week I I broke it down again before I added it up. Um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me now. I put them away and. Didn't have time to grab him before I started the show. But believe me, in that first half, Sam Donald had plenty of time to throw. And the sacks, he got sacked twice. And one of them was where Isaiah Crowell got run over. So that's not even on the yep. O-line. You know, it's not, a lot of these sacks and pressures, they're, they're, they're tight ends not picking up rushers. They're blitzers coming in untouched because a tight end or a back doesn't get to them. In terms of the O-line, you're starting five. Those guys haven't given up many sacks. They've probably given up four or five sacks in four games. And people are telling me this was the worst offensive line in the NFL, or one of the worst in the NFL. And I don't want to hear it. And quick outs, I know there's a lot of rollouts, but there's still plenty of opportunities for Sam Donald to get sacked if he actually was playing in front of one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. The, pass, the run blocking's got to get better. The pass blocking could be better, don't get me wrong. And like I said, I think the game in Denver this week is going to be ugly. But, you know, that, that's the type of defensive uh, front seven that makes a lot of teams look ugly. But, you know, you, you, got, you got to roll with it. You got to play the guy. But if you're going to play the guy, stop coddling him. Let him throw it. Let him learn. You're absolutely right, CJ. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I, you know, you bring up a lot of good points about the offensive line. And, and I think that Todd Bowles, you know, and, and, and Jeremy Bates now see, seem to – need to start cycling some offensive line and see what's going to be the best combination for Sam at this point. Because, you know, if, if you're going to maximum pass protect with a two tight end set and keep your running back in the backfield to help to, to help with the blitzer, those are less guys that you have to throw the ball out there to. So you need to be able to make those throws count. And, and the guys that are out there running, whether it's a two wide receiver set or a three wide receiver set, they, they need to find a way to get open and Sam needs to find a way to make those throws. Yeah, and you know what? If if you're gonna if you're gonna keep these tight ends in as blockers anyway, let's let's see let's see Brent Qualley out there a little bit. Give me Brent Qualley instead of uh instead of Eric Tomlinson as a blocker. You know you, you don't want to do it constantly and tip your hand that you're not throwing, you know that that guy's not a target. But the fact that the guy the fact that you're doing it often enough tight end sets for max protection, throw some actual blockers in there and give Sam Darnold a little bit more time. Um, again, not yep. that he hasn't been getting some time, but you know, maximize it and do everything you can to, to build around this guy because uh, this again, this year is about building him and and let him get the the hiccups out of the way. And yeah, and anybody saying he's a bust after three games is an idiot. And I, I get I get people getting mad at me because I'll post a a clip of something Darnold does that is you know where he makes a mistake or comment about you know like for example the the three misfires on the deep balls this week and people get on me. Listen, I get that fans are in love with this guy because we feel like he's the franchise quarterback. That doesn't mean we can't point out a mistake. And pointing out a mistake doesn't mean you're saying he's a bust. 
It doesn't mean you're saying that his season is over and this is all we're going to get. You know, but even before the year started, I said, you know, games 9 through 16 are going to be much bigger than games 1 through 8 because let let him get a half a season under his belt. Let him and and let's see, you know, his second time through, especially some of these teams that don't play for the second time, these division rivals, and let's see what he can do with uh, once he's got some experience because this is game four for him against the Super Bowl caliber defense. And, you know, a big thing, well, I mean, no picks, but he did throw, he had a couple dropped. Ramsey dropped the pick, and um, I forget, somebody else jumped the route in the red zone where, again, I believe it was Anunua, uh, A.J. Bowie. A.J. Bowie dropped the pick, and Jalen Ramsey dropped the pick. But those, yeah, we up for the flag. So those things happen. He's got to protect the ball better. But, listen, it, you know, part of the reason I said they could start him, I mean, there was a, I, you know, number one, I said the O-line is better than people realize. Number two, I said that he can move, he can get away from pressure better than a lot of guys can. Number three, I knew they would tailor the offense. I said, you know, throw a lot of quick screens, a lot of stuff to offset pressure. But but they're, they're going over. I don't want a quick screen on third and seven, you know, to, to Isaiah Crowell, right. no less. You know, if you can throw a quick screen to somebody who's a little bit more elusive than he is, uh, it's not even a call I love. But if you're going to do it, give yourself the best shot, uh, your best shot to succeed. So, it's uh, It hasn't been perfect. There has been a lot of negatives. But, you know, at the same time, there have been some positives. Like I said, I, I think the protection has been better than most people expected. I think James Carpenter has been much better than he was last year, um, as has Brian Winters. And, you know, you know, my big concern, TJ, they've been getting – where this offensive line has been getting in terms of allowing pressure is the stunts up the middle. Spencer Long, I feel like every time there's a stunt or a twist – that somebody just comes in completely unblocked and gets to Darnold. Yeah, that's been a big thing, too. And, you know, Spencer Long, uh, he needs to learn to make a couple of adjustments at that line because there are just times where he's just <laughs> he, – he, it, it just seems like he's in Sam Darnold's lap every, every other time because he doesn't expect the he, he doesn't expect the stunt or he can't adjust to the stunt. Yeah, and that's that's been, I think, Numbers of pressure that's being allowed by the by the ex, by the O line, and you know, like I said earlier, not so much getting beat. When we seen the O line get beat um, a few times too many, we've seen it come from pressure right up the gut, where Spencer Long doesn't react. And don't get me wrong, I, you know, I, he's an upgrade over Wesley Johnson in a big way, and I said that oh, a lot this time. season. But he's, but you know, he's, it's not, you know, nobody's nobody ever said he's the perfect player. He's good in pass protection when he's blocking the guy across from him. He does a good job of anchoring and, and holding guys off. But hitting moving targets, guys that are coming from a direction where he's not expecting it, it's been pretty ugly. And, uh, yeah, he's got to find a way to get that cleaned up. Or I mean, I, I think the Jets may have – or I mean, they did. They put themselves in a position where they can part ways with Spencer Long without any cap hit after this year. And I think this is basically a, an audition for him. Like, hey, if you know, if you show you can play, we have you under contract for three more years. But if you can't – we can let you go. But the problem is you don't want to have to replace, you know, three, four offensive linemen in one off season. But, uh, DJ, any other thoughts? No, I think, I, I think I pretty much got it all off, off my chest for the most part. Just, you know, just, to, they need to come out in Denver and being home. And even though regardless, the, the deck is stacked against them, you know, I, I want to see some fire. I want to see some emotion from this team. And most of all, I want to see them play a full 60 minutes. 
And that's really been the most aggravating thing, is that we only saw them play a full 60 minutes in Detroit. And I almost feel like the same, play, the same team that got, that got off the plane in Detroit never came home. It's almost like they vanished. So we, we need to get a little bit of that back. And Todd Bowles, regardless of his, his defensive play calling, he needs to step it up. And Jeremy Bates definitely needs to take the leash off of Sam Donald and let him go nuts for a game. You got nothing to lose. Just let the kid go nuts. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you know what, with you, the first part of your point is for me where you say we have to see how this team comes out, if they come out fired up, if they come out ready to play. How many times have we said that about Todd Bowles' teams? And they don't. Like the number of times we've said their back is against the wall, they got to come out fired up. Todd Bowles, you know, Todd Bowles is going to be on the hot seat if this team doesn't start to show something. And they come out flat. And we've seen it probably seven or eight times in his time as a Jets coach. You know, a couple of years ago, I forget which game was first. I went to both. There were, but there were those two late-season games against the Colts and Dolphins at home where they running wide open. It was like they were – it was worse than yesterday in terms of no defenders being anywhere near the receivers, not, and not just over the middle, all over the field. And we went, wow – Where's this defensive genius that we got as a head coach? Boy, they, they really better – they can't afford another game like this under Todd Bowles. This, this team has to realize his job will be in trouble if they do that again. And they came out and did it again. And then you start yep. wondering, like, what the hell is going on here? When, when, when does the switch go on? You know, when does the light go on and, and these guys start playing for their coach? Because, yeah, Jamal Adams and Leonard Williams, these guys can all say that we love him, he's the right guy for the job. Then play like it. Right. You don't play like it. And right so far, they haven't. And so here we are yet again, another week where we're saying, let's see if this team comes out and plays for Todd Bowles. Because they certainly didn't do it last week. And, and that's, listen, you everybody said, oh, that's an embarrassing loss. The team has to come out and make a statement, show, you know, show that Todd Bowles is the guy. And they come out and right. Blake Bortle goes 15 for 15. And so now we're saying two weeks in a row. Oh, they got to come out and make a statement for their coach if they wanted to keep his job. So we'll see how it goes, CJ. Thanks so much for calling in. And uh, don't be a stranger, man. Enjoy life down there in, uh, down in Brevard County. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Glenn. I appreciate you taking my call tonight. Have a good one. No problem, man. Take care. You too. All right. So that was CJ Simone, Jets Factor Podcast. Give them, a, give them a look on iTunes. They do a great job over there. <clears throat> and now getting back to the game, this, this disaster. So we we talked about Blake Bortles and dumping the ball off to TJ Yeldon, who takes it the distance, followed by Donald misfiring on a couple of long balls. That's, you know, you're going at the half. A dire situation because Jacksonville's getting the ball first. The Jets get a stop, surprisingly, shockingly. Um. And, and and to be let's let's be completely honest here. As bad as the defense was overall, and they were bad. Um, other than the the big touchdown pass in the second half, again uh, Blake Bortles, and this time the Dante Moncrief sixty-seven yards down the right sideline. Um, they made some plays in the second half. 
I mean, this team forced some turnovers. They want, they want, when you win the turnover battle 3-0, you, you should win the game. That's the way the NFL works. But not in this game. The Jets forced some turnovers. It wasn't enough. They had an interception. Darrell Roberts on a ball that was batted over the middle. Then you who forced a fumble and picked it up. And how about that call? How about, how about that call having to be overturned? The ref, I mean, I'm sure you all saw this. If you didn't, it's beyond hilarious. And even if you saw it, you, you probably as shocked as I was. They ruled the receiver down before the ball came out. The guy was still trying to run as the ball was coming out. He was completely upright on both feet, trying to continue to run when the ball was loose and out. And the ref said he was down. Thank God for instant replay. Jeez. The dude is running down the field, upright on both feet, and the ball pops out. And the ref says he was down. Unbelievable. Thank, thank God that one got overturned. But winning the turnover battle wasn't enough. They had some drive stall out. Had some drive stall out late in the fourth quarter. You see Donald take another shot deep down the field. This time to Robbie Anderson. And he drops back. Had three or four seconds all the time in the world. No pressure. Robbie Anderson's behind Jalen Ramsey. And Sam Donald overthrows that. So three different passes. Could have been scores. None of them are. And those are the types of things. If Sam Donald wants to start and the Jets want to, want to see defenses have to back off and respect them a little bit and stop stacking the boxes. Because seeing these, seeing these games with, uh, you know, 9, 10. Um, oh, sorry. Just got a. I think we broke up for a second there. I apologize for that. The mic went a little bit. Uh, went. But listen, seeing these games where they're coming out flat, they're not executing on offense, on defense, giving up big plays on the defensive side of the ball, not coming up with any big plays on the offensive side of the ball. It's got to come to an end. It's been a running theme for this team for the better part of the last couple of decades, really. I mean, it's just a team that doesn't make explosive plays. And if you're going to keep throwing quick screens and swing passes and screen passes and keeping the ball inside of 10, 15 yards on the line of scrimmage constantly, um, you're not going to loosen things up and you're not going to make life any better for your quarterback. So so here's the hoping that, you know, in the next couple of weeks, over the next couple of weeks, they find a way to fix that. Again, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be extremely difficult against Denver. I wouldn't expect to see that there. I wouldn't expect to see a, a big offensive explosion. For some, for some reason, Vegas is funny. Every now and then, and I, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up, but every now and then Vegas will have a line that makes absolutely no sense at all. Usually right. It's usually those lines, at least that's been my experience. Anytime I look at a line that just, jumps out at you as good lord now I would never bet against the Jets I've never done that in my life I never would 
But if I was a fan, I would look at that line and go, I'm putting every spare penny I have on the Broncos. The money line. The Broncos are one and a half, two point, whatever, underdog to the Jets. If I wasn't a Jets fan, I'd put every spare cent I had on that game and the Denver Broncos. But I think back, as far as I can remember, when I you know start placing a bet here and there, every time there's a crazy, crazy line, Vegas, Vegas knows something. And Vegas gets it right. So what makes them believe the Jets are going to win this game? I have no idea. But let's face it, um, they need a win in the worst way. First quarter of the season is behind them, one and three. Things do not look to be going in the right direction. But let's talk now. Let's talk about the uh, being four games in. Let's talk about some of the surprises, some of the surprise performers. For the right and wrong reasons. Um who's exceeded expectations, who's failed to meet expectations. And I get, you got to start, you have to start with Quincy Nunwa. The guy's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, there's no, you can't take away from him what he's managed to do in his first year back, well on pace for over a thousand yards. Had a couple catch and runs against Jacksonville that were just vintage Quincy. Those are the plays this off season when we talked about him coming back and saying, is he going to be the same guy? Will he be able, same physical brand of football. Is that the way he's going to play? And well, we got our answer, didn't we? I mean, we got it early in the year, but really that Jacksonville game, really, that was the, he put the stamp on it and just mowed people over um, and route to a couple. He only had four catches, but he went for 66 yards. I mean, he was taking ball. He's catching balls, you know, six, seven yards downfield and then getting 20, 30 yards after the catch. So just an amazing effort from Quincy Inunua. Really not one. I think the, uh, one of the biggest issues, and we've talked about that the targets are so off the charts um, to, to Quincy Inunua that teams are going to start doubling him, and that is going to lead to some, uh, some interceptions. He's got right now, Quincy Inunua has been target, th- targeted 37 times um, to Robbie Anderson's 16 Terrell Pryor's 15. Jermaine Curse 13. Jermaine Curse played two and a half games. Two and a half games. I mean, missed, missed week one, played 20, 25 snaps week two, and then played all of week three, all of week four. I think his snap count may have been a little bit low, but he certainly played enough that based on his production, I would have expected more than 13 targets. In those in the in the uh, in the two and a half games, that's four targets a game, folks. Uh, that's just that's not going to cut it. Especially your curse had. I, I mean, think how frustrating that is for both these guys, Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse. The numbers they put up last year, and now they're sitting here just watching the offense sputter and sputter and sputter, and. Uh, and not really, we're not seeing enough enough of an effort to get them involved because you got to spread the ball around. You know, we've seen it in the league. How many times? That's a, how many times as Jets fans, you sit down, you watching, you watching whether it's always some some average, you know, Matt Moore type, and the Jets are doing nothing to stop the guy. And at some point, you know, 
midway through the second quarter, the broadcast so the broadcasters will come on and say he's got uh, nine completions to seven different receivers. Like keeping the defense off balance, not making it so obvious who you're going to go to constantly. You know, even when, even when you have these guys, the Megatrons, the T, the the Julio Joneses, these guys who command, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen targets a game. Those teams rarely win rings. All these teams you see win win rings. It's like there's no dynamic. It's like balanced. You know, across the board, good receiving core, which is what the Jets have, despite what some people say. Inunua, Anderson, Curse, Pryor, Herndon. Like I said, man, Herndon, we saw that catch out of him last week, waved off or not. It showed what he's capable of. He's a guy that you want to, you know, you want to keep an eye on. Nice to see Jordan Leggett get involved. Jordan Leggett, his first action. His first, his first receptions, his first NFL catches, had three of them for 13 yards, but one of them a two-yard touchdown, back of the end zone, tapped his toes, got down in bounds. Um, just nice job, nice, nice to see him finally get on the and uh, and be a productive player. But again, but getting back on track with the uh, the top performers so far this year, Inun was got to be at the top of the list through the first school four games. He's got 270 yards, 280 yards, only one touchdown, unfortunately. Um, but what a what a great surprise, what a treat it's been to watch him because, you know, class guy too. If you can't move for Quincy Noon, well, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. Just a really hard worker. You can see it on his college film when the Jets drafted him. And you can see it in him on the field. Once he got on the field, he was phenomenal. Um, Jamal Adams, like him or not, the big mouth. I, you know, listen. You get a penalty late in the game. You, you slam Dante Moncrief to the down, down to the to the ground after the whistle. You get a flag for it. Moncrief is critical of it in the paper. The right thing to do there is to say, yeah, you know, my mistake. Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have happened. That's not the type of player I am. Let's move on. Instead, Jamal Adams comes back at him. What's the problem? I told you after the game, I didn't hear the whistle. I got a family to feed, too. That's how I play the game. I play hard. What am I supposed to do? You were still trying to run. Dude, at the end of the day, whether you heard the whistle or not, it was an illegal play, and you slammed another dude to the turf after the whistle. Just say, yep, my mistake. Didn't hear the whistle. Got to be more aware. Hope Dante's all right. Best of luck to him. And that's it. But that wasn't what we got. But even still, uh, minus a a hiccup here and there with some busted coverages, Jamal Adams has been fantastic. He's got three passes defended, a forced fumble, a sack. He's got 30-some tackles. So really nice job by him. Avery Williams has been fantastic. Another one. Forced fumble. He had the batted pass that was intercepted yesterday or Sunday. He's got a couple interceptions. Or sorry, a couple sacks. Assist got a got an assist on that interception on the ball that was batted. Darren Lee's been a pleasant surprise. They needed him to step up. They needed him to be better this year. He wasn't very good on Sunday. Um, but again, Sunday was one of those games where it was such a wreck that you just have no idea 
who was at fault. There was just so much chaos in the middle of that field with receivers running wild and nobody there to stop them. Was it the assignments? Was it were, were players blowing assignments? Or were coaches making bad calls? I have no idea, but uh, but they got to be better than that. They can't afford to have that type of stuff happen again. On the downside, pick on a couple of uh, underperformers here. Tremaine Johnson. I mean, Tremaine right now, this is one of those deals where people want to rip a GM for signing a guy who's not playing well in a way that it, it, it's literally impossible to forecast. Who knew Tremaine Johnson was going to come to the Jets? A drop-off in production? Absolutely. That should have been expected. I think, I'm pretty sure I talked about that last week. He, he doesn't have an all-world front seven now to harass quarterbacks and, and force rushers or, you know, errant passes. But he should be good enough to cover for a couple seconds. And watching Dante Moncrief just sprint past him, um, which Tremaine Johnson looked like he was going half speed for a 67-yard touchdown. And we've seen him a lot lagging behind receivers on drag routes, crossing routes. Um, is, I don't know if the guy's nicked up, but he's just he's not been anywhere near as good as he was in Los Angeles. And you can't predict these things. There's no, there's no way to anticipate you're going to bring in a number one corner who has played like a number one corner for the last several years of his career, and all of a sudden he's a marginal player. Hopefully it's an injury. Hopefully it's you know it's something that gets that he shakes off in the coming weeks, and we see him play the way he's played in the past, and that would do wonders for the secondary. But up to now, huge disappointment on the season. Leonard Williams, that hole, you know, he was uh, he was looking at, and, you know, again, it's only four games, small sample, but uh, finally got to the quarterback, did it against a good old line, and, and had some pressures as well, probably one of his better games this year. And Jordan Jenkins, actually the next two guys I want to talk about, um, Jordan Jenkins is a guy, career high, sacks is three. He doesn't get to the quarterback a whole lot. People have knocked him for that, but let's face it, um, he's not a speed guy. He's never going to be 12, 14 sack guy. But I've said, I said it last year, and I'm pretty sure I said it again this year. Now, obviously, I was wrong last year. I think he finished with two and a half sacks. I said I thought he would have seven. I thought it, that I thought he would have seven or eight. He didn't come anywhere close to that, but it looks like he may do that this season. Uh, through four games, he got two sacks and had Blake Bortles in his hands for a sack yesterday and just let him go. Couldn't hold on. That's when Bortles got away. Through. Otherwise, he'd be leading the team with three sacks right now through four games. But the man who is leading the team in sacks with two and a half, Henry Anderson. And what a great pickup he's been. He's been absolutely fantastic. He's been batting balls, getting pressure, shutting down the run, doing all the things, you know, that the Jets fans hoped Muhammad Wilkerson would do when he got his big contract a couple years ago. So Henry Anderson is a guy who's really, really stepped up on that D-line and made a difference. And no, this is not, uh, this isn't the second coming of the sack exchange, but let's be honest. I want to say the Jets had 27 or 28 sacks last year as a team, which is pretty pathetic. Uh, Right now they're sitting at 10, four games in. They're on pace for 40. I don't think they'll get 40. But 
I'm, you know, I'm sure that, well, again, I, I take that back. If we see some more Jamal Adams, I've talked about that extensively, get Jamal Adams chasing the quarterback down. Henry Anderson keeps playing the way he is. And if he's pissed off about being called out for registering a, a big goose egg on the stat sheet against Cleveland, these guys get a little bit fired up, then they could be looking at 40 sacks. And you go into the draft, you had a pass rusher to a team that's capable of getting 40 sacks without one. And uh, and you're, that, that's a huge step in the right direction. So hopefully that uh, hopefully that's the case, and they keep producing at this level. And, and speaking of pass rushers, speaking of you know defensive front seven, I'm anxious to look at this on on the all twenty two because for the first time this year, um, and again we're only four games in, but for the first time this year in that Jacksonville game, there were three or four plays where Nathan Shepard showed a little bit of something where he was, you know, that sort of half step away from a sack. I know it's not a sack, but it he up until that point, and I could be wrong, but he I, I would say this was his and of course there was going to be an adjustment period for a guy coming from a small school. So it could be hopefully it's the start of him, you know, heading in the right direction and having a nice year for himself. Maybe it's a blip on the screen when all said and done. But Nathan Shepard had himself a really good game. And uh, as I said, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully getting that all 22 up and running and take a look at that myself and see if uh, if what I saw on the broadcast was, in fact, a, a really strong effort. After the game, went to, uh, well, I should say earlier today, after re-watching the game, went and took a look, you know, kind of see what uh, what PFF had to say about him see if they had him down for a strong game. And uh, they had him at, I want to say, uh, 77 on the day, which would easily easily be his his best game of the year because his first few games, he has really been a, a big-time non-factor. Um, pressures, you know, I'm going to pull up PFF right now, see what they had to say about that game. I said I thought I saw three pressures from him. PFF has him down for two. <clears throat> Excuse me. PFF has him down down for two pressures, but they had him down for by far his best game. Um, they did grade him out at a 77. His first three weeks, he graded out as a 50, a 63, and a 53. Not very good. So 77, much improved for him. And that was with his highest snap count as well. Uh, 39 snaps were the most he's had this season. A nice job for Nathan Shepard. Um, again, hopefully a guy who's going to, going to come on and, and, and play well for years to come because I, I've said it before and I, I said it to someone earlier today, I think this uh, these top three picks, Darnold, Shepard, Herndon, are all going to be good players for McCagnan. So we'll see how that uh, how that turns out. Bilal Powell, another bright spot. He always is. Underutilized, he always is. Ultimate professional, he always is. Does a great job blocking out of the backfield. Great job catching the ball out of the backfield elusive, find, always seems to find a crease if it's there. Doesn't get the ball enough for my money, and I would imagine most Jets fans would agree. couple, you know, it, it's really tough in terms of skill players to highlight guys for, for performing well because the Jets haven't performed well, and Sam Donald hasn't performed well. 57.5 completion percentage. That's, you know, that's not good enough. And it's not that I'm ripping the guy. It's, it, it's just the facts. 
there have been plenty of plays where he's had plenty of time and he doesn't make the throw. So hopefully with time that that'll, that'll fix itself. That's, you know, some guys struggle early on. He's not, you know, nobody's sitting here saying he's been a disaster and, you know, maybe he will once he gets a little bit more time because, you know, I've said it earlier, said it last week. I don't mind that he's having to work under pressure. My, my only concern is, you know, being hammered. Is he back there getting his brains beat in to where he's going to be shell-shocked and where he's going to have a hard time bouncing back? But really, what he's had to deal with is getting sacked fewer than three times per game and making some throws on the move, having to adjust, having to move his feet, having to pull the ball down because a, a passing lane closes up. A defensive lineman gets an arm up, you know, gets in his face, pull the ball down and scramble or pull the ball down adjust and change your arm angle, whatever you got to do. So he's having to improvise. He's having to work. And that's not a bad thing to me. Let's, let's let him do all this now. And then next year, he's got a full season under his belt, hopefully an improved offensive line. And then you can see what will hopefully be a dramatic improvement. Hey, look, I have a little bit more time to throw this year. And the game's not as fast as it was last year. And I'm not moving my feet quite as much as I was. I can set myself a little bit better. My, my concern with him this year was, would this O-line get him killed? I didn't think they would, and so far they haven't. So they haven't been great. They've been good enough to keep him healthy and give him time to make some throws. He's got to make better throws. Whether or not, uh, you know, when that will happen, we'll have to wait and see. You know, right now, he's not a guy who's he's not a guy who's making throws when he has the opportunity. And I'm not putting that all on the offensive line. I, 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 like I said earlier, I think people are so in love with the guy that any criticism is deflected. It's someone else's fault. It's Bates. It's Bowles. It's the blocking. It's the receivers. Everyone's dropping everything. Nobody's getting open. Like, some of these things are true to a degree. But to sit here and pretend that there haven't been many, many plays where there's plenty of time and somebody's open – and a play doesn't get made to, to, to pretend that's not happening. Like why? That's it's. These are the facts. This is what's going on. So anyway, this week's opponent, Denver Broncos. What are we thinking here? For me personally, I'm thinking it's a loss. I don't see them finding a way to put up enough points against this Denver defense led by Von Miller, who's just an absolute beast. He's, He's right up there with Khalil Mack when you talk in terms of being his ability to get after. And then you have, of course, rookie Bradley Chubb, who they drafted to play opposite Von Miller. Those two guys right now have combined for six sacks and uh, 27 pressures. 27 pressures between those two guys. That's insane. You know, Shane Ray's the backup, and Shane Ray's got five pressures in the sack. So these guys can get after it. They can absolutely get after it. Todd Davis isn't a bad player. That linebacker, he does a nice job getting to the quarterback. I think he's only got one sack this year, but, I mean, let's face it, (laughs) there's only so many to go around. You know, no one's going to have 
you're not going to have five different guys with three or four sacks this early in the year. But the bottom line is they have they have guys who really can get after the quarterback. The will have their hands full this week. They have some nice pieces in the secondary. Chris Harris, of course, one of the better cornerbacks in the, in the league. He'll be on one side. Uh, Bradley Roby, who, man, I really liked him coming out of college. Ohio State, if I'm not mistaken. Liked him. Long guy, good athleticism. Um, kind of a slightly less athletic version of Antonio Cromartie. But uh, he's turned out to be a really nice player. So they have some good players in that secondary. Stewart does a decent job back there. The Jets are going to have to work. They're going to have a lot of work to do. Running the ball. I mean, Von Miller, for all the credit he gets as a pass rusher, he's a badass against the, the, the run as well. You know which one hurts? This is, uh, I was thinking about doing an article on this later on. Rotational player, but Shelby Harris. A lot of folks may not remember he was in camp with the Jets last year. Um, did a little article on him. He's a guy, it had a couple incidents, but was in camp with the Jets after spending time with the Raiders. And he had himself a, a, a nice season for the Broncos last year. Now, like I said, again, a rotational guy. But I want to say uh, last season he had like he had five or six sacks. Yeah, just looked that up. He had six sacks last year, um, which would have led the Jets, if I'm not mistaken. And now he's just a, a rotational guy out there in Denver. But he's he's strong against the run. He does a good job as a pass, an interior pass rusher. So that was uh one of those one of those guys that got away. Of course, Derek Wolf, another good defensive lineman. So Brian Winter, James Carpenter, Spencer, these guys are going to have their hands full. I mean, <laughs> Brandon Shell and Kelvin Beecham, buckle up, fellas, because with these pass rushers coming off the edge, um, this game might be even tougher than the Jacksonville game in terms of edge rushers because these guys are uh, ready to roll. You know, coming off the bus, these guys are ready to get off, get after the quarterback. Now, one thing that might help the Jets a little bit is that uh, <clears throat> Denver's offense right now isn't quite firing on all cylinders. Case Keenum, who they gave that huge contract to in free agency, and it's still I, I, I said it a few times, and it's still so bizarre to me that John Elway can't figure out, can't find a quarterback. Drafted a bunch. They were all bad. Goes out and gets Case Keenum. Case Keenum is... Uh, He's got six picks, six INTs, only three touchdowns. So I guess that's why uh, probably a big reason why Vegas has the Jets as a favorite. Short week for Denver, long trip west to east, and Case Keenum isn't playing very well. So there's a big part of why they uh, why that's the case. But on the ground, Philip Lindsay, he leads Denver in rushing yards right now. He's got 267. And then Royce Freeman is sitting at 219. And they're at 5.9 and 5 yards per carry, respectively. That's pretty damn good. So they can run the ball on you. Um, but if you can try to force Keenum into making some mistakes, force some turnovers, you got a good shot. Emmanuel Sanders is their number one receiver. Really good player. He's over 300 yards already. And then Demarius Thomas looks to be, you know, he's trying to bounce back from a, I want to say, what's Last couple, a couple of down years. Um, after some some big years in uh, a few years ago, he wasn't bad. 
949. I mean, it, he was down in terms of, you know, he had these monster years, 1,400 yards, 1,400 yards, 1,600 yards, 1,300 yards. Um, and then last year, just 949. So his lowest production, but still a pretty damn good year. And that's, a, you know, that's going to be a, a tough tandem to deal with. And if the Jets can't get pressure on Keenum up front, then it's going to be. But either way, I see it being a tough one. Um, I don't see the, I don't see the Jets pulling it off. You're probably looking at, uh, you know, just you just think how ugly it could get if them gets out to a big lead, like Jacksonville did, and they can just uh, you know, pin their ears back again, get after Sam Darnold. But if the Jets can force a couple touchdowns, I'm sorry, for, force a couple turnovers, try to try to limit the damage. Uh, I still got to go with the Broncos. I think the Jets are. Uh, I don't know. I said, uh, how many times can you say they got to come out and play for Todd? They didn't do it last week. Many times they've they've had that opportunity and they haven't done it. So I'm going to say the Broncos win this one. I'm going to say the Jets give up a lot of points again. Wouldn't be surprised to see a defensive score from Denver, maybe a scooping score, something along those lines. I'm going to say 31-14, Denver. Another blowout. And uh, not not an ideal situation. But we're going to uh, just wanted to mention one more thing before we go. Uh, unfortunate, Josh Martin, Jets outside linebacker, has been placed on injured reserve. And just really unfortunate. He, uh, he was on in concussion protocol for about a month after the game against the Giants. Finally gets activated the other day. Plays about a half and then gets pulled again for concussion. Um, When you have two concussions that quickly back-to-back, that's just a bad situation um, all around. And Josh Martin, not a household name, but I'll tell you from what I've seen of the guy, um, Absolute class guy through and through. Uh, bright guy, you know, Columbia product who had, you know, had high hopes this year and really thought he was going to, you know, come into his own. That did not happen. Due to, uh, due to these concussions, he's now on IR. And uh, Bronson Kafusi, the Brigham Young defensive lineman, uh, been in the league for a few years, year number three for him. He gets elevated to the active roster. So they had another D lineman on IR. And finally, Richard Robinson is eligible to come off of uh to come off of IR or suspend the suspended list. And my expectation, I think most people's expectation is that Justin Burris will be let go and Richard Robinson will be kept on. Uh, had himself a good camp, super, super, super athletic corner. Uh, things didn't work out for him in San Francisco. He was traded last year to the Jets, played one game, smoked. That's what happens when you sit on the bench for a few weeks and then come in and play Tyreek Hill. So not a good game for him, but had a really good camp and uh, absolutely has the tools to be a fantastic player. So keep an eye on that. I would expect, again, I would expect Justin Burris to be the guy to go. And 
that's our prediction for this week. Denver 31, Jets 14. Hopefully we're wrong. Hopefully they come out and shock the football world, pull off, get themselves to 2-3 and three with a couple home games coming up after that and maybe get the season back on track. So that's it for me for now this week. For Jet Nation Radio, we thank you all very much for tuning in, as usual. And we look forward to talking to you again next week, hopefully, hopefully, breaking down a Jets win at home against the Broncos. If you're going to the game, enjoy the hell out of it. And uh, if not, grab some wings, plop down in front of your TV, and let's uh, let's continue watching of young Sam Darnold. So that's it for us today, tonight. You guys have a great night. and. Uh, Enjoy the Jets this Sunday. Let's uh, let's pray for a win. Have a great night, guys.